Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, rejoined by my co-host, Matt Fortuna, who is uh, recovered from what was not food poisoning, but was just a daycare bug, which many of our listeners have been afflicted with in the past and can appreciate. And today, special guest, um, she's with Metal Arc Media, The Dan Lebetard Show, The Golik and Smitty Podcast, also walking proof that Notre Dame does take transfers from football schools, Jess Matana. <laughs> Thank you for uh, coming on the show, especially after you were on campus last weekend to watch Notre Dame Stanford in person. Yeah, what a game to come back to. I was not expecting the outcome. I don't think many Notre Dame fans were. I thought this would be a, a, a pleasant weekend of stress-free football watching, and yet um, instead I came away with a night that I hope to forget very soon. Yeah, so how are you feeling? You might be feeling worse than I did Saturday night. <laughs> Based on your up close and personal experience, how was that to be back? Uh, well, I mean, it was great to be back. I had I had a live show with Golick at O'Rourke's Friday night, so that that went really well. So I, I had a really nice time. I have to I have to admit, it was my one of my first times being back on campus and actually having time to like walk around and and do stuff. Um, but yeah, it, the game was super disappointing. I mean, I had done more game prep than usual, having done the live show Friday night, and. I'm, you know, I'm a, a child of the, of the Charlie Weiss era where, you know, my earliest Notre Dame football memories are blowing some of those games and, and just having really sad, depressing, uh, Saturday weekends because of Notre Dame football. So I'm always kind of skeptical when there's a game that everyone thinks Notre Dame's going to blow out another team. Like you've always, ha- you always have that in the back of your mind, like something's going to go wrong. Right. But what is it going to be? But I was doing prep for this game and I was just thinking like this Stanford team has shown nothing this season. I mean, Notre Dame's lines should destroy both the Stanford's D-line and O-line. I, no, and uh, obviously that's not what happened. Notre Dame, um, Tanner McKee is a good quarterback, but Notre Dame made him look even better than I think he he really is. And I just was pretty stunned. It Yeah, it was hard to process. I think I saw you halftime, third quarter, and we're like, okay, at that point, it actually got better from there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you can imagine it feeling worse than you did at the end of the game at halftime, that was that that was that sentiment. Um, I I was interested in sort of how you have processed the season um, as a Notre Dame fan who sort of went through the Brian Kelly experience coming and going. Um, and then Marcus Freeman comes in and six games into it, it's sort of like this isn't the prince who was promised um, with Marcus. Like how, how have you sort of taken that in and, you know, six games into it, I mean, has your opinion changed a whole lot or is it maybe more confirmed some of the things you're like, yeah, okay, I could see where this might go sideways. I just feel like it's been kind of up and down all season. After the Ohio State game, I, I think most Notre Dame fans felt that little twinge of relief that, all right, at least this wasn't like a 35 or 40 point blowout because that Ohio State offense is so good and 
we hadn't really seen Buckner start a game yet. And then Marshall happens and it's like, all right, so this is going to be a rebuilding year. Hopefully we'll make a bowl game. Right. I think, I think everyone was extremely down in the dumps after that, as they should be. I mean, you lost to Marshall at home. Marshall, I don't think has won an FBS game since. So that, that loss keeps looking worse and worse as the weeks go by. And then after Cal, you squeeze one by and then you go on this two game streak against North Carolina and BYU on the road and on a neutral site where Notre Dame's offense is scoring, you know, 45, 28 points, 28 is not that high, but it's felt like a little bit more than that because BYU wasn't able to do really anything offensively. Um, and so I was feeling pretty good after the BYU game and then figured, you know, well, at least we have Stanford at home and, and that should be easier than, than if we're going straight into like Syracuse or Clemson or something like that. But, but no, it's it's just been kind of a roller coaster, and and I think the word that a lot of fans are using is just inconsistent. And whether it's individual player performances being inconsistent, or just the team's kind of like uh, readiness at the beginning of games, um, it's been it's been a weird season where week to week. I, I was talking to someone earlier today where. Um, they were talking about the Syracuse Notre Dame game. And I'm like, Notre Dame could win that game by seven points or lose by 40. I have no idea which one's going to happen. Where, uh, what, what, what brought you from Clemson to Notre Dame? And, and at this point, are you just, as Dabo would say, hashtag all in on the Tigers the rest of the way? <laughs> no, people do ask me that. All, someone, someone DM'd me earlier today and they were like, if Notre Dame's four and four and Clemson's eight, no, are you going to root for Clemson during that game? And I was like, no, I, I graduated from Notre Dame. I'm a Notre Dame fan. Clemson has won two national championships since I went to the school. They're doing fine. They don't need me to root for them. If if that wasn't the case, then maybe I'd still feel a little bit of, you know, all right, go Tigers. But no, I, I'm a Notre Dame fan. Um, and yeah, I, I transferred just because my my family went to Notre Dame, my parents, my sister, and it was close to home. I grew up in Chicago, and I really liked Clemson. Clemson has a little bit of that Notre Dame feeling in the campus, and and I think some of like the the connections I made there and people I've I've kept in touch with the way that I have with my Notre Dame friends. But um, I just I I always liked Notre Dame and grew up a Notre Dame fan, so I I had to go go to Notre Dame once I got in. What what football season were you there for in Death Valley? I was there in 2012, fall of 2012. So it was Notre Dame's undefeated season uh, that they made the BCS championship game. So the whole season, so I went to one Notre Dame game that season. I went to the Pitt game, which oh, I'm, now, I'm now thinking I might be a little bit cursed. But um, I went to the Pitt game. Notre Dame barely won that game three three overtimes, right? And then, you know, they had this amazing end of the season and Manti, Heisman, finalist, all of that stuff. And I was at Clemson where I think – Taj Boyd was the quarterback. Sammy Watkins was there. DeAndre Hopkins was there. And it was a really good team, but they they couldn't get over that Jameis Winston, Florida State hump uh, until after I left. So, and they also, I think, were in the middle of that losing streak to South Carolina, which, right. you know, if you're a Clemson fan, and, and those were dark days. But, um, yeah, anyway, so I missed, I missed Notre Dame's best, one of their best seasons of the last decade. But then when they lost to Alabama in the national championship, I was more emotionally detached than I think I would have been if I were a freshman. So that was at least a bit of a relief for me. Yeah. We had uh, a couple of weeks ago, Tim Murray who was a, a Notre Dame fan, Vegas guy uh, works at circus sports. And we sort of went down this rabbit hole of random Notre Dame game memories. Um, what, ones have you attended that you have enjoyed the most or remembered the most those don't need to be the same thing 
Well, I think those are those are the same thing. And it's uh, two, I think it was 2006 UCLA game was probably mm. my favorite game I ever attended because I, I remember um, I used to wear the little like rally beads to the game. And I remember when Notre Dame was losing as as the good, you know, Catholic grade schooler that I was at the time, I was I was saying Hail Marys on my rally beads because Notre Dame was was down in the fourth quarter. And then they came back and won with Brady Quinn with a pass to Jeff Samarja. So that was my favorite game. I think for the pure, like, absurdist factor, the pit game in 2012 was really funny. I was also there with a bunch of my – my mom is from Pittsburgh, so half my family, you know, are, are pit grads and pit fans. And they all drove in, and they all got kicked out of the game for for smuggling in alcohol. So I thought that that was, that was really funny too. Um, and then the way that game ended was – it's it's just a quintessential college football ending where it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. You take us oh, a little bit. I should add, I should add one more. The Michigan game, my sophomore, no, my junior year when Notre Dame shut out Michigan. That was my favorite game. Oh, the BVG game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Br- briefly 38 nothing and then ended 31 yes. nothing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I have to add that one. Sorry. The the highlight of the Brian Van Gorda Van Gorda era. <laughs> Uh, without question. Uh, <laughs> Jess, could you take us a little bit through your career path? It's, I guess none of them are conventional anymore in, in the sports media business, but just like what you're doing now and, and how you got to where you are. What, I mean, it wasn't, I know you were at Sports Illustrated for a little bit. Now you're at a number of different outlets. What, what's kind of your day-to-day like and how, how'd you end up there? Yeah. Um, well, I, I graduated from Notre Dame with a degree in FTT and I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew I really liked sports and I always, I grew up knowing I wanted to work at sports or, or be on ESPN. Um, but you know, I had no idea what that meant uh, other than maybe I'll be a sideline reporter. It didn't seem like there were that many opportunities for women working in sports media. But when I graduated, I kind of realized like with, with the advent of blogging and, and digital media, there had been this whole new world of, of opportunities um, in digital media that I, I didn't really know about when I was growing up because it didn't really exist yet. Um, and on social media too. So I got a job at SB Nation, um, which I don't know if Notre Dame fans remember in 2016, SB Nation was forefront in the four and eight meme, uh, Twitter campaign that I think a lot of Notre Dame fans were, were not very, um, appreciative of. And I was working there at the time. So I would, I would describe it as a hostile work environment. Um, but <laughs> I worked there for, for three, two years. And then I got, I was a, I was like a video producer. I was writing a little bit, blogging a little bit, kind of doing whatever. And then I got hired at Sports Illustrated, which was cool. Um, until things there got a little dicey after the, the company was sold, but I was a producer there also video producer. And so I was working on a lot of cool video stories and, um, I also wrote for the magazine a few times and I started hosting a podcast. And then, uh, after Sports Illustrated got a little dicey and the pandemic happened and I was kind of like ready to get out of there. I got a job offer to work at Metal Arc Media, which is a brand new media startup company that Dan Levitard and John Skipper founded in 2021. Um, so Levitard and the Levitard show with Stugatz left ESPN and they started their own media startup. And so, I joined Meadowlark, moved to Miami, which was a huge change, having grown up in Chicago, gone to school in South Bend, and then living in New York for for six years. So um, I've been in Miami since. I 
like Pete said, I host a, a number of shows. I host some shows for Metal Arc, one show for DraftKings with Golik. And DraftKings is kind of like our um, one of our, our partners at Metal Arc. Uh, we have a deal with them, so there's a little bit of synergy there. But yeah, it's been it's been a really weird uh, a weird six years of doing fifty different jobs. But luckily, I landed on one that I really like right now. <laughs> yeah, and then you're in Austin right now doing some stuff for F1, which is seems like a great way to spend the weekend if you can't if you don't have Peacock on your phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't even know, you know, probably three years ago what Formula One was and because of COVID and Netflix, I now am a, I'm now hosting a live uh, Formula One reaction show with Spencer Hall, who was also part of the four in one memification of Notre Dame football in 2016. So um, we luckily we don't talk about college football on the show That's, or else I don't think we'd get along very well. Yeah. I don't know if he has a lot to say after last weekend and uh, LSU's performance at uh, true. At Florida. <laughs> you, both, you, both, you both can talk about Brian Kelly. There you go. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Are you to the point where you're viewing Brian Kelly any differently now um, based on how the season has gone for Notre Dame? Are we not there yet? You know, I kind of think I had a pretty rational view of him while he was the coach. Like I felt after 2018, especially like, all right, this, like he's turned things around at Notre Dame. I think like he, he had done a really good job with player development, especially getting players in the, in the NFL and kind of optimizing the, the talent level of certain players. And like a lot of people have said, you know, since, since the Marshall and Stanford games, Brian Kelly got to a point where he didn't lose the games. He wasn't supposed to lose. Notre Dame was, Losing games, yes, but they were mostly to, you know, top five teams or, or at least like, you know, power five teams that were, <laughs> were competitive, ranked and competitive, which you can't say about Stanford last weekend. So, um, I was not that upset to see him leave because I did think that we had kind of seen a ceiling for Brian Kelly. Like, I don't think. There was going to, I don't think two more years of Brian Kelly was going to equal national championship. I think he mm-hmm. was pretty, pretty consistently getting 10, 11, sometimes 12 win seasons out of Notre Dame. And that was, that was really good and solid and, and credit to him after 2016, of course. Um, but I was excited to see a little bit of a change, especially because I'm, I'm a big fan of Marcus Freeman and I liked what he did as defensive coordinator and I liked, the things I was hearing about him just kind of as a person, but also as a recruiter, um, as a coach. And I still am optimistic that he may end up winning a lot of football games at Notre Dame. Um, 
he needs to do it, but <laughs> he needs to do it for that, for that to be true. But, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of a college football absurdist. So like when, when Notre Dame's having a season like this, I'm just like, all right, I'll find my enjoyment through the chaos. I'm not going to try to look for any meaning in the rest of the season. And when the season's over, I will kind of sit back and evaluate what the hell we just watched for 12 games. But it's only been six games and, and I'm, I'm still hopeful that there can be some sort of, um, redemption arc at the end of the season, but I guess that remains to be seen. I already see a new po- off-season podcast in the making called Humanity Search for Meaning, the guide to yeah. Notre football under the Marcus Freeman regime. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not number- good when you're in, in a football season and you're quoting philosophers like no. six games. Especially, in. yeah, halfway through the year. That, that is what, a what, self-defense we- mechanism if I ever heard one for a college football fan. <laughs> What what is the uh, how many straight games did Brian Kelly win again as a favorite in Notre Dame? Forty something, thirty something. Oh man, it was a, it was forty two against unranked teams and hit a twenty four game home winning streak. I think at some point that's he had a it was like he a, had a record ago. as a favorite. I think dating back to Miami of twenty seventeen. I bring it up because there have been ten games this year where a home team of sixteen point or greater favorite has lost. And Notre Dame is now responsible for 20% of those after last week, uh, which, again, is just mind-boggling. Uh, again, if you, like you said earlier, you saw the way they played against Ohio State. You come out of it like mildly, if not fully optimistic about the rest of the season. And yet here we are. And again, I would not be surprised at literally anything that happens from here on out. Uh, Jessica, what would you, you know, just absorbing the first six games as you have, like, advice for Marcus Freeman or questions you have for him uh, as far as like what you think may be working, what might not be working and, and what do you think's the top is kind of off season to do list. If we can already turn the page of 2023. <laughs> I don't think I'm smart enough to give him any advice, but I will say <laughs> one of the things that I think has been the most, I, I guess my, my Stanford Notre Dame experience, I think it was frustrating to see like how flat, that entire first half felt. Um, and that's not just from like the players on the field, because I, I don't really know what he's doing pregame. Um, I know Notre Dame fans have a lot of opinions about mass and all those sorts of things. And I don't, because I just, I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a player, but, um, if I thought like the, the atmosphere felt really weird and off Pete, I'm not sure if, if you kind of felt that way, I know, I know you started the game up in the press box, which is like 70 yards from the field. Right. It, it was a weird vibe. Um, so they opened the windows in the press box a little bit now. I, I don't know if it's for ventilation or so the media can like pick up the atmosphere, hmm. but it was so quiet in there. And yeah. that's also like juxtaposed. The last game that I covered was so loud that it was loud at halftime when Notre Dame fans were just sort of talking over the BYU band. So like, it was like startling how dead it was in there. So I think it Notre Dame is stadium is never, well, I don't want to say never that loud, but it's often not that loud when Notre Dame's not playing well until like the stuff's on the fan at the end. But that first half, I just, I I couldn't believe how quiet it was. Um, That was, that was shocking to me. Yeah. I, I felt the same way. And maybe they open the press box now so people don't punch out windows like they did at San Diego State or wherever that happened over the weekend. But um, 
Because that certainly could have happened against uh, Stanford later. I definitely yeah. clicked on that story, being wondering if I had missed a huge Tommy <laughs> Reese incident <laughs> from the weekend. Oh no! Um, but I, yeah, so I don't know if this is advice for Marcus Freeman or just like Fresno State. Fresno State, by the way. Let's just let's thank you. Okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry to San, San Diego State. State. I didn't. State yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I just like get, getting the and like you said, when when the team's not giving you anything to cheer for, it's hard to be in it. But, you know, I've been to a lot, a couple kind of crappy Clemson games at Death Valley where they've been playing bad and it feels like the crowd is still vocally in it. So if there's like a way to get fans engaged and, and pumped up, even if it's a primetime game against an unranked team, which I also thought was maybe part of it, it was like kind of just a. I don't anticipate, even if Notre Dame loses their next two games, I don't anticipate it being that quiet when the Clemson game starts, right? Um, I don't know. So I would hope may- maybe, maybe you do. <laughs> well, I, I wonder, well, I wonder with that one, because remember the last time they played there, and I think the only time they played there, at least in most of our lifetimes, was 2020. Like Clemson fans have not had the opportunity to travel to Notre Dame. I do wonder how yeah. big of a turnout you're going to see from Death Valley in South Bend in November. It's possible because the game's not sold out. Um, I have like, friends. Wow. I have friends that are traveling for it. Just anecdotally. Um, I think it is a, a destination that uh, their fan base really wants to go to Notre Dame and, and visit it and, and see, see the sites. So yeah, I mean that wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if we got a little 2017 Georgia sprinkled in there on top of all the other bad vibes we're already getting. But I guess my, my point is like, if there, if there's some way to just kind of like come out with more energy in those, in those moments where maybe you can tell the vibe is weird and the crowd is off and not in it. And maybe that's more for the stadium board uh, operator than Marcus Freeman. But um, it was just a really strange game. I thought from top to bottom experience wise. It's like that is something I, I hope that Notre Dame takes. This is not this is in the category of like, maybe they shouldn't go to mass, like as if this is a problem. <laughs> but like I but I the stadium board operation, like I get it honoring faculty and it's an academic institution and you want to invite people to mass and, you know, have your videos. But it does. Man, when the when the game is not going well and that stuff pops up. It just it gives you no chance to have any yeah. kind of energy well, there at all. Here's something that I will criticize the stadium uh, video operator for, uh, who, whoever makes this decision. And like, I'm sorry to this person if they're listening. But <laughs> if you're giving me a 2016 grad, the option between cheering for Sweet Caroline and the Eye of the Tiger. I'm sorry, you have lost me. Please pick songs from the century. Like we are just specifically catering to people that are like pit fans and born in the 80s at this point. Not even the 60s. I mean, Sweet Caroline came out in 1969 for yeah. Christ's sake. Like, can we please do better than that? There, are, there is no way the students. If, if I'm like, all right, really, there's no way that students that are eight years, ten years younger than me are getting invested in that and like oh i want to hear sweet caroline no you don't no one wants to hear sweet caroline we're <laughs> not you, like we need to retire sweet caroline are you saying the halftime time. uh halftime chicago show is not really getting people fired <laughs> up ready to go like not nothing nothing's happening i, there for I like you? that that was so uniquely notre dame they were the only school in the country that could pull it off obviously the band's managers a booster yeah. but I, I thought that was i i like that maybe they're hey, give they're us a live performance points, i mean but. 
Exactly. I, no, that's what I'm saying. A, a live on field performance. Uh, give me Bon Jovi. Like I know that he's he's a more dated reference, but he's if he's there, give me Bon Jovi. But like we don't need to hear there, there's an end, Neil Diamond there's an from 1969. Tyler, yeah. yeah, like it's just uh, we don't need to hear it anymore. We need to do better. And that's another thing where I'm like, get the fans in the game, and and maybe they are catering to the Notre Dame audience, and maybe the Notre Dame audience is that old and and corny. But I think that I think we can have more fun there. I just if, like if that's so, the audience, they're gonna have, well, they're gonna have trouble this weekend because the game's on Peacock, and I don't think yeah. those people are oh, gonna God. actually watch. No, the I, was game. Just, I was gonna say like Matt, you were at the Cal game, right? Like we were both there. Yeah, for that like when Manti came out, that was cool. Oh, yeah, it was, like people yeah. were into that. Bring like, Manti to every game. Yeah, that's just the, just have him the be there the whole time. If you want to put him in like the leprechaun costume, whatever, just get him back. He was at the BYU game that worked out nicely. Just. More Manti. Maybe that's the solution to everything. There you go. Were you... Did did Clemson have the DJ when you were there? Oh, yeah. And the DJ really oh, got... Did? Yeah, the DJ got the the students into it. The student section was always crazy. And and the Notre Dame student section's fun. Like, I, I obviously um, stood in it when I was a student. And that's usually the most energetic part of any, you know, college football game. Um, but, yeah, Clemson had a DJ. I think Clemson probably can play different music than Notre Dame wants to play. Um, they also, you know, have Bojangles advertisements on their video board. That's never something that's going to happen at Notre Dame Stadium. Um, the Bojangles thing also gets the crowd into it because if you score 28 points as the home team, you get free fries the next day. So everyone's rooting for Oh, for man, if you thought to Tommy Reese would be, was unpopular now. Jeez. <laughs> right? You don't get free fries out of it. What are we doing here? But I mean, yeah, I, I don't. And like comparing Clemson to Notre Dame doesn't really do a lot of favors because they're completely different stadiums and different campuses and different schools. But yeah, I, I did think that it was weird enough to play Stanford at, on primetime. I, I also hate na- night games, so I'm probably biased. But it was just like when when the team came out and nothing great happened for the first couple possessions, you could just tell. Like, it was kind of going to be one of those weird nights. It felt like an unnecessary primetime game. I know there are TV obligations here, but when they announced that in the summer, I'm like, all right, Clemson, I get this one. Not so much. Carolina last year, I felt the same way. It just didn't really yeah. make a whole lot of sense. Unnecessary. Yeah. I, have you, one, uh, I have one more Clemson, one more Clemson <laughs> Notre Dame uh, comparison question for you. Which football program is more religious? No, that's a, actually a really Ooh. good question. So I felt, and th- this is just my personal experience, and I people can disagree with me, and you're probably kidding, but I, I actually have thought about this a lot. I, I felt that my experience at Clemson, there was like a lot of, for a public school, there was a lot of, you know, people go to mass every Sunday. They go to brunch afterwards. Like religion was a social experience. I think on campus, there's praying on the, you know, PA before Clemson games. Um, and you know, I had gone to Catholic school for my whole life. So I wasn't used to like non-Catholic Christian stuff happening. Um, and I remember like on Ash Wednesday, I got my ashes and, and like everyone on campus was like, what's on your face? And it was like such a weird, (laughs) weird experience having like only been in Catholic schools for my whole life. But, but yeah, Clemson, I would say religion is a very big part of Clemson. 
Um, and I would say at Notre Dame, obviously, like touchdown Jesus is right there. The school's named no- Notre Dame. Um, it's a Catholic school, but once I was, I mean, I lived off campus all three years, so I never had like dorm mass or anything like that, but I just didn't have the same, it, I don't know. I just, it didn't feel like something people talked about, but maybe it was just my, my social circles. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure you angered absolutely no one from either side. By, by oh, a thousand. My parents, much. if my parents listened to this, they would be furious at me. Oh God. I remember <laughs> the clubs. Again, it's just my experience. Uh, I was surprised that like they said the Pledge of Allegiance before the game in oh, 2015 yeah. when I was down there and like yeah. I made a, a quippy remark about that on Twitter and good God. Um, yeah, people yeah. were not. Clemson takes Clemson seriously, which maybe makes it even more uh, relatable to Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, I think so. Range. Well, I wrote a column ahead of the Cotton Bowl in 2018 about how Clemson and Notre Dame felt like it could be a new ish rivalry if, yeah, if the I teams agree. continued to schedule each other and, and things like that, because I think they're, the fans have a similar kind of like chip on their shoulder and, and look, every college football team does really even Alabama is c- pretending or, or uh, alleging that the, the goalposts that were thrown into the Tennessee river were actually discarded because they were the wrong size and the field goal, whatever. Like it, it, we've all seen like the crazy message board accusations, but I did, I do feel like Clemson and Notre Dame kind of have a similar, at least I felt this way in 2018. They had like a similar uh, resurgence since their kind of glory days in the eighties when Clemson won their national title and Notre Dame won their last national title. So I don't know that column might not hold up. I have no idea, but um it, it does. No, we've, we've said like the a, same on this show. I, I agree completely. Yeah, it, it does. They do feel like kind of like like minded groups. It's I mean, for me, it's like the far and away the best thing about the ACC agreement. But I don't you know what the second best thing is. Um, but <laughs> I, but I, yeah, basketball. <laughs> yeah, there you I, go. Love, I love the Clemson except, series. Yeah, I mean, except this year, the women's basketball team is going to be again in like the toughest conference and that doesn't help. But but they're up there with them. It's it's kind of is what it is. I mean, they they belong right there. But no, I I, 100%. I just think football wise, like and Pete and I have said this on the show before, but it's like, yeah, Notre Dame and Ohio State are both Midwest schools. But I don't know if there's a whole lot Ohio State does that Notre Dame looks at and says, maybe with Marcus Freeman now, but generally speaking, oh yeah, we should try that or we should do this. Like I think Clemson's discovered a secret sauce in the way they do business that Notre Dame looks at with. Maybe not envy, but like, how are they doing that? Because that that looks like some of it could be translatable to here. And and the other thing, like, I've covered both teams fairly closely the last six years or so. Neither team has any shitheads on their team. You know what I mean? Like, they both recruit good kids, and like, they all graduate. Like, they're all like really impressive when you talk to them. I, I just think there are a lot more similarities and differences between uh, both of them. I don't say that just about our podcast guests who who had. Uh, Gone to both schools here right now. Well, as well. I was a shithead and I went to Clemson and Notre Dame, so I think that defeats your argument right there. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I was interested, like, so in your the twists and turns of your media career, like covering Notre Dame, if that was ever something that you wanted to do um, when you got into it. I mean, I know you did like some like kind of a spring game live broadcast a few years ago. You know, the the podcast with Golick. Um, I, I was curious about that because I feel like I talked to a lot of like aspiring journalists who are like Notre Dame fans who want to cover Notre Dame as a first priority. And I'm sort of like, no, uh, like find good stories and tell else. them. Yeah. But like you've been sort of able to do a little bit of both. And I don't know if that was intentional or not. Well, first, I should correct you. It was a regular season game. It was senior night against Boston College in 2019. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, 2019. <laughs> um, not a spring game. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, so like when I started out at SB Nation, I, I mean, you kind of like write about what you know, right? So there yeah. were certain things that it was helpful if there was a story with Notre Dame or, or something. It, it was kind of helpful to like have a little bit of insight, but I, I never desired, I, I would never want your job, Pete. <laughs> I would never want to be an objective reporter covering Notre Dame. And I don't think it's even possible. Like, I think my, my fandom is splattered all over the internet and no one would, would take anything that I say seriously. But, um, yeah, I think there's also like an interesting thing going on with, you know, in, in the, in the era of, um, you know, media personalities and, and Bill Simmons and, and the quote unquote cult of personality as, as Dan Lebitard likes to refer to it, kind of wearing your sports allegiances on your sleeve mm-hmm. is almost now more rewarded than actual, actual journalism. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I guess I, I have more fun having fun and I think it suits me better than, than trying to actually like be on, on any sort of beat. Um, not to say that I haven't like done some Notre Dame stories. I have, and and luckily I've had editors that have made sure that they're decent. Um, I did a story on Muffet and Neil Ivy, I think three, two years ago, 2020, right after Neil took over the women's basketball program. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's tough to be objective about something that you swear at every Saturday and 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 post swears about on Twitter. You're, you're what the second guest is many weeks, or at least in the last three weeks, we've had on who basically I wouldn't say wears their fandom on their sleeves, but openly talks about how much they swear and how weird they act in the middle of games, which there's been no shortage of weird games to react to in real time this year. Burmeister? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, this is like the best about, hair, this is the best hair week. In the history of the Rock <laughs> podcast, it's like it I, there's hard. not even a close second. You, you and Paul <laughs> are like the Clemson Notre Dame series of Notre Dame's arrangement with ACC. <laughs> I forgot about Paul because I was there, but uh, no, Tim Tim Murray a couple weeks ago, and then uh, we obviously had Brett Musburger last week who uh, made us go viral for 
talk complaining about the quote unquote woke media of 2012. Oh yeah. I, I quote tweeted that tweet. Um, <laughs> I was part of that. I am the woke media, the woke media, yeah, you, I, but I was, I was not part of the woke media when I was 18, listening to him no. talk about Catherine Webb and thinking like, this is really uncomfortable. Like mom yeah, and dad, you're the, I'm you were the woke me- <laughs> You're the woke media uh, as a Clemson freshman uh, watching Alabama right. and Notre Dame go on that year. Um, yeah, we've had quite a run with guests. Hopefully you won't go viral here, although with your religion comment, who knows? Notre Dame fans could take that hey, one uh, completely the wrong I didn't way. say religion was good or bad. You can go back and check the tape. I, just... I know. I'm just... <laughs> you did choose one over the other, and that will be noted <laughs> in the shamrock. Um, on our site this week, Scott Docterman and Stuart Mandel, our colleagues, uh, made their uh, midseason bowl projections. Now, the only thing that makes me sicker than I was this past weekend is bad offense, and the only thing that makes me sicker than the bad offense is mayonnaise. They have Notre Dame playing Iowa in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Which, Pete, that one's all yours if you want it. Um, if that ends up happening, <laughs> I can already tell by the reaction on your face right here. Uh, but are there any better options for, for this team down the stretch here? There got to be if they were to like win out or lose just one game down the stretch here. I mean, better in what way? Because like the Bahamas Bulls in the Bahamas and not but that's Charlotte. not an option. Right? Yeah, they got to get they got to get some kind of surprise win to qualify for the holiday bowl in San Diego or whatever that's <laughs> called right now. Like that's, that would be the best option that I think is the reward we all deserve after the last six weeks. Uh, but also, you know, maybe you play in the Duke's Mayo bowl and, and Iowa and Notre Dame play each other and it becomes somehow like a 45, 48 game. And it's, it's the bowl game of the year, right? That we could all see that happening. And then you would have to, if I would only agree to cover it if I was guaranteed that the winning head coach would, in fact, have mayonnaise dumped on them. Cause it's like Shane Beamer. Okay, whatever. It's fine. That seems like kind of in Shane Beamer's wheelhouse. If it's Marcus Freeman or Kirk Ferentz, like that's, that's a scene right there. Like that would, that would carry the day. Or maybe it's Brian France or Tommy Reese. I don't know. Maybe the winning OC gets the mayo. I mean, if the, if either of those OCs score like 45 points in a bowl game, I think they mm-hmm. should definitely get a mayo bath. But um, yeah, I think Gojo spoke this into existence last year when he did the mayo bowl broadcast yes. and dipped the Oreo in mayonnaise. I think that's when we knew Notre Dame was heading for greatness in the mayo bowl. <laughs> he, he, that, does that count as a shamrock bump? He, he was our week one guest. If he ends the season calling Notre Dame the mayo bowl, I don't know if that... Yeah, I was. I'm concrete. grateful that he has run interference with us because this podcast has been more of a defender of Tommy Reese than I think a lot of places. But Golik went above and beyond, which was immediately <laughs> thrown back in all of our faces during the Marshall game. So, Mike, if you're listening, we appreciate you for uh, taking a bullet for us for Tommy. <laughs> it was it was something. All right, well, let's get out of this. What do you want to see the rest of the season? Like as as your and I'm not even saying this Saturday because you might not be watching, but yeah, when, probably not. what do you want to see from Notre Dame as the clock runs out on Lincoln Riley, Marcus Freeman, part one Thanksgiving weekend? Don't lose any of the games that you're not supposed to lose. I guess that, you know, like if the Stanford loss is the worst loss of the season, which I think arguably it, it might be worse than Marshall, just given where yes. it was in the year and Stanford's technically a rival, I guess, and whatever. But, you know, if they lose to ranked teams the rest of the season, like 
we'll just kind of put it in the past and we'll enjoy our mayonnaise and, and move on. And, and hopefully like that doesn't blow up recruiting or anything like that. And, and there's a fresh start next year, but if they drop a game to Navy or, or BC, like that's just going to suck. So yeah, just win the games you're favored in. You, you didn't mention Syracuse as a better move there. Cause they're, they're probably going to be ranked no matter what happens this weekend. And again, who knows what will happen in the dome uh, next week. Your prediction know, yeah, for Notre I, Dame. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Go ahead. You're fine. <laughs> I, Syracuse, like, I, yeah, they're playing Clemson this weekend on ABC. I, who know, who knows what to expect from that? Let alone Notre Dame at Syracuse. Syracuse was also ranked in in 2018, but I mean, it was a, it was a better Notre Dame team, I think. But Notre Dame almost blanked them. Uh, there was a sad field goal at the end of that game at oh, Yankee Stadium. It was but, the oh, saddest yeah. field goal I've ever seen kicked. Yeah. You know, Babers never deserves to beat Notre Dame after that. (laughs) Uh, I have last one for you. Who's who's Notre Dame's starting quarterback against Ohio State opening week 2023? Oh, man. That's actually game four, by the way. My bad. Who are they playing week one? Navy in Ireland, which was oh, yeah, where we where we'll yeah. do that live that the first live ever episode of the Shamrock needs to happen in Dublin. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah. I thought I thought um, no, we're going to do a joint show called Man and Woman Search for Meeting. The start oh, yes. of twenty twenty <laughs> in Ireland. It, it's very poetic. If Notre Dame loses out the rest of the season, you guys should do a live show and call it the Shamrock. Mm. That was a terrible, terrible pun. <laughs> uh, I think. But we love bad puns here, so it's all yeah. good. I, yeah. <laughs> um, There's no such thing as a bad pun. Let me think. What are some of the what are some of the transfer names that I've seen fans throwing out there? Like Ooh. What about Graham Mertz? How would you feel about that? No, oh. that's a pass. I'll take I'll take Jack Cohn again. Does he have any yeah. eligibility left? Um, so it's like an extra Scott, COVID year. Scott would take Jack Cohn. <laughs> Paul Chris would still be employed if you could get Jack Cohn yeah. back. Jack Cohn back. <laughs> Yeah, accurate. Um, I don't know. Tyler Buckner or, or probably a transfer, I would I would assume, but who who the hell knows? You guys know better than I do. I feel what's gonna well, happen with with transfers and stuff like that. I feel like we've come up or stumbled on some new taglines uh for Notre Dame season, whether it be uh man search for meaning, who the hell knows, or we'll enjoy our mayonnaise and move on, which I feel like might be the best one uh, if it plays out that way by the end of the year. So Jess, we appreciate you carving out some time in Austin. Enjoy your F1 experience this weekend. I will, I will be one of the few people that get to watch Notre Dame play live. um, And then I'll be tweeting out play by play ahead of Peacock. So everyone can look forward to that. You know, people love that when I was doing it during the Toledo game last year, it was, it was just beautiful. And I'll probably be at F1 qualifying on the phone with my dad, telling him how to log into Peacock right before the game starts. So enjoy, enjoy your live view of the game. Say, Should dad, save, save $10. That's, that's my advice for your old man. <laughs> oh, my dad is, is sicko. He's going to watch every quarter of that game. All right. Well, we, we hopefully we can help him get him through it, or at least process it with our post-game podcast as Matt and I will uh, reconvene via Zoom saturday night after notre dame unlv so until then jess thanks for coming on the show matt good to see you have returned to full health um and thanks for everybody listening to this latest episode of the shamrock Rock.